Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What is the history of Thanksgiving? What happens behind the scenes of the iconic Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? And what are the best dishes to serve at the table? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Who doesn't love Thanksgiving? It's rich with history, full of iconic traditions, and of course, let's not forget the main attraction, the food. So on this episode of Getting Schooled, I'll be joined by three very exciting guests who helped me celebrate the history and joys of the holiday on my Thanksgiving special. Without further ado, up first, historian and author of They Knew They Were Pilgrims, John G. Turner. He'll take us back in time to give us a history lesson about the very first Thanksgiving celebration. John, how's it going? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. You know, I appreciate you taking the time. This is uh, a topic that I feel like people, you know, really wonder about sometimes. We celebrate these holidays, but we don't always know the origins of what we're talking about. So this is good. Um, I'm very excited. So we have this Thanksgiving Day here in the States where the origins, I'm not asking you necessarily to go through the origins of the Thanksgivings in other places, but did they look at the United States and get an idea of, oh, wow, we should be doing a day of thanks as well? Or were they, did they just come up with that idea on their own? Yeah, no, I think that was just an inherited Christian tradition in a lot of places. So you can actually find days of Thanksgiving uh, by Europeans in North America before the pilgrims. Oh. So when... Uh, there were some both Catholic and Protestant settlers that showed up to in Florida in the mid 1500s, and they had they had days of Thanksgiving. So it's just something that um, Christians tended to do on sort of special for a special occasion after a particular blessing. Like if you'd had a successful voyage, uh, you might have a day of Thanksgiving. Also, the other thing that Europeans did is they would sometimes have an annual day of Thanksgiving linked to a um, sort of recent political success or development. So the Spanish Armada, after it's destroyed in, I think, 1588, the English celebrate that with an annual day of Thanksgiving for a while. But they, they didn't do it in perpetuity. They, you know, that that particular one sort of faded out and mm -hmm. the Dutch had similar traditions. Um, just, so I don't I don't think it's that the American Thanksgiving inspired um, other peoples to have similar days. They sort of all had their own right. traditions that developed. Well, I love that. It's kind of an idea of we're going to give thanks for, you know, this event or something that happened. And then for us, it became that annual day. You know, I just from all the research that you've done on this topic, what do you think the modern day Thanksgiving is all about? So, you know, I think the modern day Thanksgiving, it is really different in that, you know, we've got this day. We've got to be thankful on the calendar, uh, whether things are going great for us <laughs> or not, which is sort of an interesting idea. There is this, you know, biblical tradition also of give thanks in all circumstances. Yes. So. You know, I can I can kind of go with that, and it's always nice to take a day and try to be thankful, whether or not 
like things have been going great in your life or not. You know, it is a little bit different if you look at what the pilgrims and other settlers did. You know, they would they would have these days after something particularly special happened. And that's sort of a nice tradition as well. Um, and that's something that collectively uh, Americans don't don't do anymore. And I'm certainly not suggesting we should replace our wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with, <laughs> with that. But, you know, maybe sometime we should try that out if the nation has had some particular blessing or success. Let's have let's have an extra day. Of yes, I agree with you, John. The more things that is given, I think is the best way to go, because it's true. We I think sometimes we take things for granted. Good things happen. And, you know, you get weighed down by the bad things that happen and you forget that there are good things happening. So if there was a day of thanks every time something like that happened, that would be wonderful. Also, I never thought about it that way. It's kind of like a gratitude journal where when things are going bad in your day, they always say, you know what, sit down and just write the 10 things that you're grateful for in the morning or five things that you're grateful for. So regardless of what's going on at that time, we do have this annual day of thanks where you can kind of step back and be like, you know what? I'm going to give thanks for even for things that maybe even aren't going well for me kind of thing. So that's, that's great, yeah, John. Yeah. I really like that. Um, Let me just tell you two, two yeah. more things. And, you know, um, the flip side of that is the early settlers, if things weren't going well, oh, you're going to Debbie Downer me right now, John. What's that? Are you going to be a Debbie Downer on me right now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. When, I'm just when kidding. things when things weren't going well or they had some disaster, they would have a day of fasting and repentance. Mm. I don't think a lot of Americans want to bring that back. <laughs> and the other thing I'd say is that not a lot of people would want to eat like the pilgrims on Thanksgiving. So they didn't have they didn't have cranberry uh, sauce or cranberries. They didn't have pumpkin pie. <laughs> uh, they may or may not have had turkey. And most people think they probably had a lot of eel because oh, those were gosh. very abundant um, in New England at the time. So I'd like to keep eating what <laughs> my family currently eats and not start eating like the pilgrims. Amen to that. So what did, yeah, what else did they eat? They, so eel, what kind of crops would have been around during that time? Yeah, so they, they did grow maize or corn. They grew peas. They grew might have grown some wheat, barley, stuff like that. They mm -hmm. could have foraged for berries and all sorts of things in the summer. Um, and then I think it, just in terms of the feast, you know, it was probably pretty protein heavy. So, you know, a lot of fowl, waterfowl, ducks, geese, maybe turkeys. There were, certainly were abundant fish. Uh, they might have had fish as well. And then the, the native shot, five deer. So they definitely had venison. You know, that's, that's probably the thing we most know for sure was venison and some sort of fowl. So why do we eat turkey then if they might not have even had turkey? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. I don't know <laughs> if I entirely know the answer. I mean, Governor Bradford in his journal, he does mention that there were abundant wild turkeys and some of the programs, this always cracks me up. They they really exaggerate how big these turkeys were, like, you know, just enormous. And like the ones you can <laughs> buy today for Thanksgiving, I guess maybe they had some big ones back then as well. Um, 
But, you know, there were some Americans in the early Republic that really liked the turkey. I think Benjamin Franklin recommended the turkey as the national bird or symbol of the mm -hmm. country. Um, now, I kind of think the bald eagle probably works better. Yeah. But I don't want to be eating bald eagle on Thanksgiving. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That, I don't know if that's that's why we ended up eating turkey or not. Uh, um, or just you could raise if you're going to have a big feast. You know, you can't you can raise really big turkeys. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe, maybe. Well, I know that I will not be eating eel on Thanksgiving. I would prefer that turkey. <laughs> uh, so just to kind of wrap things up, John, I always like to ask at the end. I love to put the guests on the spot and ask, what do you think is the most important thing that people should know? I mean, if they were going to only listen to one part of this podcast, what's the most important thing either about the history of Thanksgiving or the early settlers? Yeah, I guess I would say if you're listening to this podcast, and I think this is true of so many topics in history, maybe not everyone, but definitely this one kind of resist the urge to turn the people into the story into just saints or sinners. Mm. And, you know, I think people have done that with uh, stories of Thanksgiving and this early Plymouth colony a lot. And sometimes some people have made the pilgrims to be the saints. Sometimes people have made the Wampanoags to be the saints and, and vice versa. And, you know, there, these are real human beings involved with a lot of complexity, a lot of, insecurities, uncertainty, and it's best to, to take them as the complex people that they are or that they were. Wow, that's really powerful. You're right there. You know, it's it is a, a topic people like to talk about. But um, I think you shed a lot of light on everything. And I really appreciate you coming on. So happy Thanksgiving and hope to have you on again soon. Thanks so much, John. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. We've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And now I'm joined by the producer of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, Jordan Dabby, who will give us a behind the scenes look at what goes into the making of the parade. All right, Jordan, you have a very important job. You got to talk to me about what leads up to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, because I mean, I live in New York City and there are street closures. You have all of these big balloons and these these big things coming through the streets. How does that all go down ahead of Thanksgiving? Well, it is it is over a year long process. We have a dedicated group of people that produce the parade every year, um, but it starts a year out. And uh, on the marketing side, we're looking at potential partners, people we work with a year out. Um, we get the pleasure of selecting the best in family entertainment to showcase their properties, whether it be on a float on the ground or whether it be a balloon in the sky. Um, but that lead time can be anywhere from from 12 months to 14 months to to line up those entertainment properties and bring them to life on parade day. Um, but obviously, the work uh, goes on throughout the year. We have an incredible Macy's Parade Studio that fabricates everything that you see in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. We have welders, electricians, carpenters, sculptors, scenic painters, and they're working right up until the middle of November to put the final touches on everything that that the country gets to see. Um, and of course, um, the last few weeks of the parade is the rush. It is something that is a well-oiled machine, I can <laughs> tell you. We have it all dialed in. Um, but right up until Thanksgiving Day, we have a dedicated group of people that make sure that the parade is put on safely, wonderfully, uh, and for the entire country. How do you decide what goes into the parade? Who gets to be in it? 
Well, one of the most wonderful things about the parade is that it was started over 90 years ago by our Macy's employees. Many of them were immigrants. They came from other parts of the world and found themselves in New York and missed many of their hometown traditions. So to this day, that is one of the most wonderful things about being a Macy's employee. They are the backbone of the parade. They are our volunteers. There's the one, they are the ones that bring it to life in the parade every day uh, or every year, excuse me. So um, that is how you become a member uh, of the parade. You are, it starts with our friends and family at the Macy's, uh, under the Macy's family. I love that. And to be a well-oiled machine, you've got to have a backbone. And it sounds like they really are your backbone. So that's that's really great to hear. What about um, the actual items that you see in the parade, the balloons and the, uh, you know, the the performers. Is there a formal process that happens throughout the year where you say, hey, we absolutely have to have this this year or this is going to change or this is going to stay the same? How does that work? Yeah, the parade is a mixture of a variety of things. One, when you talk about our balloons, I, I, the litmus to be a balloon is that you must be an instantly recognizable children's character. They are the signature part of our parade. It's what everyone looks forward to seeing every year. Um, and when we look at what is the best and brightest in family entertainment, um, that's what we want to feature in the sky. We are blessed. We work with Nickelodeon, work with Disney. We work with many different organizations that that represent the best brands and characters in the world. Um, but that's where it all starts. We have a multi-generational audience and we know that um, your average 10-year-old is watching the parade along with their parents. And oftentimes they're watching with their grandparents. So we want to make sure that whatever we put on TV appeals cross-generationally. Um, and I think in terms of celebrities, that that is one of those things that changes every year. Uh, it, is our, it is our desire to feature the best um, the best celebrities uh, and the most famous celebrities to feature within the parade every year. They are what um, you see on every float every year. There's a performance on virtually every float. Um, and every year you're going to see a different group of celebrities that that perform on those floats. Do you guys have any uh, floats or balloons that have been in the parade every year for 90 years? <laughs> that's a um, long time. That's a, that's a long that life a for a balloon. But you um, never know. Yes, I would say to the best of my knowledge, Abby, no. Uh, the, the parade started in 1924. Um, so there has not been a singular element that I can think of mm. that has been part of the parade every year. That said, our oldest float is uh, our turkey float. Um, it's about, I think it debuted a little over 50 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, and of course, you know, our biggest vote is Santa's sleigh. That is something that has become a staple over the years. And it's the way that we officially kick off the holidays. You know, um, it's the holiday season once you see Santa uh, within the Macy's Thanksgiving. Day <laughs> yes. Parties. And I am one of those believers that Christmas season starts on Thanksgiving. Where do all these floats and balloons go during the non-holiday seasons? <laughs> do you have a warehouse somewhere or is it yeah, the studio? We- it, it is that Macy's Parade studio. Okay. It's on the other side of the river. It is where we house everything. It is where we do touch-ups every year. It's where everything gets created. Um, so it, it is It is just on the other side of the river in New Jersey. I see. Can people see that during the year, or is it something that's off limits? Um, Unfortunately not. It is it is closed. It's an undisclosed location. It's kind of where the magic happens. So it, it's kind of like your Christmas ornament. Um, we want our floats and balloons to be special. You will not see them for the most part outside of Thanksgiving Day, um, just like your Christmas tree. If your Christmas tree was up all year round, it wouldn't have that same special factor. So, so we do keep that closed to the public. That makes sense. You guys run a tight CIA operation. 
operation over there. Uh, um, how has the parade changed over the years? Just from that one, that first day, ninety years ago, or you know, nineteen twenty-four, to what we're going to see this year. I think we're always pushing the boundaries of newness. Uh, it is something that that is is at the fabric of what we do. It's the backbone of what we do. If you look at some of our new balloons this year, those are things that that are just pushing the envelope of technology. Um, and that's something that we do every single year after the parade. We look at what we can do to improve upon it year in and year out. Well, that's what I was that you hit exactly on my point I was going to make just the technology capabilities from the 20s to the 2000s. I mean, I could imagine how many uh, more things you can have because of those capabilities. It's truly incredible. Um, How many floats and balloons do you have in total? And how can you talk to me about the route for people who are maybe unfamiliar with how it all works? Sure, absolutely. The parade starts on the upper west side of Manhattan uh, in the area of 77th Street and Central Park West. It will travel all the way down Central Park West, make a left at Columbus Circle onto Central Park South. Um, It will travel an avenue or so or two, and then it'll make a right on 6th Avenue and it'll go straight down 6th Avenue until it makes a right on 34th Street, where we'll enter um, 34th Street right in front of Macy's Herald Square's beautiful facade. And that is the backdrop to our telecast. So it is a two and a half mile parade route filled with giant character balloons, floats, um, inflatables of various sizes. 700 clowns march the parade every year, 12 marching bands. Um, so it is it is large and it is impressive and it is something that is a total spectacle to watch. That is a lot. <laughs> Wait, with all of these balloons, what do you is it just a bunch of helium? How do they stay afloat and where does all this helium come from? <laughs> yes, we, we we helium is what enables our floats to to soar down the parade route. Um, every balloon has approximately 90 balloon handlers. Um, 90, nine, zero, nine, zero. There are about 90 people that hold a balloon line and guide the balloon down the parade route. Um, and, and that really equates when you talk about all the balloons in the parade, there's about, um, I'd say nearly 2000 balloon handlers in the parade this year that will guide all of our inflatables down the line of March. Jordan, I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck on Thanksgiving and I hope you are able to enjoy it as well. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate you having me on, Abby. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. And last but certainly not least, Chef David Burke will give us some kitchen tips to whip up an unforgettable Thanksgiving meal. How's it going, David? I'm doing great. How are you? (laughs) I'm even better now. I mean, you are one of the best known and most respected chefs in modern American cuisine, so I cannot imagine anyone better to have on this podcast than you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. <laughs> Let's just start with uh, what are some of the Thanksgiving dinner staples? I mean, obviously we have the turkey, we've got the sweet potatoes, but in your mind, what do you think? Uh, well, you know, every you know, when you think of Thanksgiving, immediately you think of the turkey, right? And the stuffing and the sweet potatoes and or whatever potatoes it is. And then the vegetables come in, cranberry relish, gravy, all of that stuff that surrounds the main course is what you think about and of course pies so i think and and oftentimes you forget about the appetizers like mm. what are the appetizers for thanksgiving now the appetizers uh they they vary from the home uh, home cooking versus restaurant cooking restaurant cooking for thanksgiving is much different than than home cooking because of 
probably just tradition and lack of space. So where would you like to start? Let's talk about those appetizers, because I, I okay. feel like my appetizer is usually like a cocktail or wine. <laughs> you need that, too. Yeah. That's an aperitif. aperitif. Um, exactly. In a restaurant, you know, we, we usually serve a, a fall salads, butternut salads, sometimes goat cheese, dry cranberries, uh, you know, even a crudite for, for home use. You know, you want some hams, you know, traditional, ham, you know, American ham, Kentucky ham, what you can use prosciutto, uh, maybe some, with some squashes, mushrooms, uh, you know, vinaigrette, things that are in season. Chowders are big in a restaurant for the fall for Thanksgiving. You know, you think about the, the pilgrims, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the New England clam chowder uh, would have been a big one. Butternut squash soup, pumpkin soups, things like that. Anything with... Uh, with nuts, you know, in a salad, like candied pecans in a goat cheese uh, salad, for example. Oysters are big. Oysters Rockefeller, baked oysters, clams, casino, those types of shrimp cocktail or, or a shellfish appetizers or smoked salmon and smoked ham are usually good appetizers because they don't compete with the turkey. You're telling me that ham is an appetizer? Ham is an I have been doing this wrong my entire life. Well, rather not to blame my parents, but it's <laughs> so I, I always just see the ham served with the turkeys. So that's interesting to, to know well, that it is a an appetizer. Well, I think you can listen, you can put the ham, you can cube up the ham and put it on top of warm oysters and bake it. You can mm. slice the ham super thin like a prosciutto. I, I like it better as an appetizer for Thanksgiving because you get the saltiness with your cocktail at the beginning. <laughs> and if you want ham, if you want the traditional ham, even if it's little bites with mustard as appetizers or put them in a salad, you right. make ham croutons and sear them, heat them up. Your ham and uh, and bread fried together as croutons together it works nice on a salad too. One of the biggest things that are, I guess, biggest challenges for people when they're cooking on Thanksgiving is that the turkey is too dry. So if you are um, cooking at home, how do you ensure that that does not happen? You well, there's no. If you're going to leave the turkey whole, you can't ensure that. So the only way you're going to make that turkey really on point, you got to take the legs off. Or you got to cook it whole and then cut the legs open a little bit. But it's a, you know you might as well take the legs off and then cook the two breasts on the carcass. So you got some what sort of a presentation. Um, but otherwise, you just you know you turn it upside down. You can do this and that doesn't. You the breast meat cooks at one forty five and the dark meat cooks at one sixty five. So in order for you to cook the leg meat, you have to cook the breast overcook the breast. Period. End of the conversation. So that is interesting. I don't like the legs anyway, so I don't even care. Take them off. Um, <laughs> right, right. Well, again, you could you could present the turkey, uh, you know, take the photo and start quiet and then put take the dark meat off and throw it under the broiler and cook it. If you really want that whole that family photo with the turkey on the table. But otherwise, you're going to have to overcook. You know, I. I'm always curious about just kind of the origins of things. We have the traditional uh, Thanksgiving meal items. We talked about the turkey, the stuffing, things like that. Where did all that come from? Why do we eat what we eat on Thanksgiving? Um, well, re usually traditional foods are based on geography and where it started. 
cranberries obviously come from the Northeast and that's where Thanksgiving started. Right. Mm. They don't have, you know, where the pecans came in, that came probably later for pecan pie because pecans weren't raised up north. But you would certainly have uh, cornbread from the from the corn and the Indians. Right. That that the cornbread, the uh, uh, the cranberry, the vegetables of the fall, which would be Brussels sprouts and creamed onions, mushrooms, green beans are always available. Um, parsnips, sweet potatoes, yams. Those are all fall things that are seasonal and regional to the northeast. Uh, pumpkins, obviously, for the pie. And apples, obviously, in the fall for the pie. So right. things are things back then were definitely more seasonal and regional because you didn't have transportation to get raspberries from California in the winter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, things like so. So you don't see strawberry shortcake on a Thanksgiving. Day. <laughs> you, see, you see whatever was in season and what was in that region, which is really proper way to eat. Why yeah, turkey would, and why ham? Well, pigs were abundant and turkeys were abundant and they were mm. probably easy to raise and catch. Right. And, and also slaughter mm. and, and affordable. I mean, you have to think back a couple hundred years ago that there was tons of turkeys and there was uh, and p- pigs were an essential part. You know, they people had pigs and chickens like they have uh, pets now. Right. You know? And turkeys were turkeys were abundant like bison was. You know, but bison's a little harder to kill, and and um, <laughs> yeah. When, but the bi- the bison's were out west, right? So I think those things, like I said, the soups, the cranberries certainly are, are right are right there. And you know, you had uh, you have rum desserts and apple apple brandy desserts and things like that also that were you know local. Yeah, that makes sense because people are were also trying to live off the land, and like you said, the transportation right. wasn't as technologically advanced as it is now. Right. Well, you also had pickles, people pickled things. You had the uh, olives and, and relish trays. You know, people had the uh, they would you know they would preserve things back then too. So you know, cranberries were like a preserve, mm-hmm. you know. But that was in season. But you had other things that the. Uh, People stocked up for the winter. Ham was salted. They killed the ham throughout the year and they salted the ham so they could eat. You know, when you, the word salary comes from salt because if you had salt, you were wealthy way before refrigeration because without salt, you couldn't preserve your meat to get through the winter. Ham comes from the preservation and being able to slaughter your, your, uh, your pork salted for several months. So you had meat throughout the winter. Kind of when you study food and how Time progresses. Every year brings new trends. Is there anything that is new and trendy to the Thanksgiving menu this year? Uh, well, I don't. Uh, I like parsnips and parsley root. Harder to get than uh, harder to harder to get in the supermarket. I like to uh, throw a little quinoa into Thanksgiving mm-hmm. now and some. Bar- I like barley. Also, barley is another good fall item, like a barley soup. Yeah, I don't see that. Um, and uh, I, eventually, you'll see a. There's a good product out there for the meatless eaters that like plant based food. It's called corn. Q O R N. Corn. Uh, uh, it's like a, it's a meatless chicken protein. And it, 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 for somebody that doesn't want to eat turkey, they make like some patties. And I got to be honest with you, they're pretty good. Mm. You know, some of the other ones are not as good, but it's called Q-O-R-N. And I think um, um, Drew, Drew Barrymore pr- promotes it. I think she's the spokesperson. I've tried it. It's pretty good. Okay. I'm not... Uh, 
I'm not against plant-based, but I'm also not a plant-based eater, 100%. But that one's a good alternative for those listening that want to try something that don't want to just eat vegetables, uh, but want to try something crispy and crunchy. So those plant-based things perhaps are a little more... uh, and I think some people eat, you know, lasagna and some people go off the, uh, or might eat a roast duck, but, you know, trend wise, you know, you got some plant-based stuff. You've got, uh, I think produce and vegetables and, and grains are, are starting to take a little more center stage, especially with the increased cost of meat mm-hmm. and fish. And I think it's also a healthy alternative. I mean, you can have a smaller steak and more grains and vegetables and eat a healthier lifestyle. And I think you'll still be satisfied. Yeah, it's hard to talk about new additions to Thanksgiving menus because it is about tradition. And I am a traditional person. I like to really lean into that tradition. But, you know, some people are different. They like to add things. Well, and good point about the, the um, you know, the meatless options. Well, what we've done also in the past, last year is we also we give you an option to have lobster gravy instead of uh, regular gravy on mm. your on your uh, on your turkey, so it's almost like a lobster bisque with pieces of lobster that we pour over the turkey. So you know, for an extra whatever dollars, you can get a lobster sauce with your turkey, which actually works very well. Even lobster in the stuffing, or serving a little lobster or shrimp with green beans or adding a little bit of shellfish to one of your, your uh, one of like on top of the mashed potatoes or with some leeks and onions and so that it's just a little, it's just an addition. I can confidently say, I feel like I'm going to elevate my Thanksgiving experience with all of these suggestions. And I hope that our listeners do as well. So chef David Burke, everyone, thank you so much for coming on and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here is my top takeaway about Thanksgiving. I hope that everyone has a fun, safe, and loving Thanksgiving holiday with their friends and families this year. I am so thankful for all of you listeners, and I can't wait to share more exciting episodes with you. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com, and don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.